0: Welcome to the Content Lab, the weekly podcast for content marketers about the strategies and tools you need to create addictive content your audience will love. I'm your host, Liz Murphy, Impacts Director of Web and Interactive Content. This week's conversation touches upon a topic that's pretty close to my heart, and you guys should know this by now. Let's just call back to episode eight. When I talked about SEO and content with Franco Valentino of Narrative SEO, it's all about bridging that mental divide between data and content for writers, copywriters, and marketers. The reason why this is kind of a pet project for me and a beloved topic is that I've talked to a lot of folks in our space who feel that data can and does inform decision making, but ultimately, still, it gets in the way of crafting truly compelling brand stories and narratives when that couldn't be further from the truth. So I invited Claudia Pilgrim, known to many on the internet as Ms. Copywriter, to debunk this way of thinking, and also to teach others what data really is, and why we should all embrace it as brand storytellers. Anyway, enjoy. Well, everybody, give a warm and hearty welcome to Ms. Copywriter, Claudia Pilgrim. Thank you so much for joining me today. Liz, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm definitely a fan of the content lab. So thank you again for having me. Oh my gosh, of course. You know what else I love too? I love how I invited you and then we both realized we both live in Maryland. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in opposite parts of Maryland. Like somebody's like, oh, I'm in Cumberland. Oh, Frederick. Oh, how cool. <laughs> You're still three hours away. Right. right. I'm super close by. Yeah, like not too far. Like thirty minutes, within thirty minutes for sure. The world's trying to keep us content nerds apart. How depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Enough about how awesome we are and how great Maryland is. You're Ms. Copywriter, but what does that mean? Who are you? What do you do? What are you all about? Absolutely.
1: So, yes, I go by Ms. Copywriter. Um, So I work with service-based entrepreneurs and software companies who either don't have the team or the time to get their marketing message out with impact through email marketing. So I work on their email marketing campaigns to help uh, promote their message, uh, their campaign, or whatever type of strategies they're looking to employ within their company for that particular objective.
0: So why do you think a lot of companies like that have difficulty getting their message out there? What's usually the barrier? Is it really just time and resources, or lack of expertise, or? I
1: think, so sometimes I think, especially when you're looking at an enterprise level or a larger corporation, it's just so much to take that they don't wanna take the time to actually get to understand who their customers are. And I think now we're in a space where they're trying to incorporate that personalization, but they're so used to the group and the team that they're working with in-house that sometimes they need to bring in that outside expertise to be able to do that analysis of their data, both on the qualitative side and on the quantitative side. And so I think sometimes that that's the gap that's missed um, at an enterprise level. But from a small to mid-sized business level, it's just either they really are stretched with time and resources, and so they don't have that person or persons there to be able to go through their funnels, look at their landing pages, understand what their email is actually saying from a customer standpoint or from a client standpoint. So I think that's where kind of the, the
0: bridge is that I help fill and facilitate. So, okay. You just said something really interesting there that before we dive into our actual topic, I want to touch upon there. So I think, you know, we talked a little bit before we started recording today about email marketing and how, you know, there's a bit of an art to writing an email, but you're absolutely right how often people don't realize what it is they're actually saying when they're putting together a marketing email. Like they're so entrenched and, and deep within their own marketing glasses so to speak in terms of when they look at things they can't see what they're actually saying to other
1: people absolutely absolutely and it's about context right it's about meeting your visitor your avatar your customer where they are not where you are and what you think they want to hear so yes I, I totally agree with you on that one
0: so what I find interesting about you is that what I originally found you on Instagram (laughs) because I just immediately get excited when I find marketers who have anything that is copywriting or content something forward in their name. Yeah, I find a lot of people who are like, I'm social media, I'm marketing, blah, blah, blah. But you don't see a lot of people who get really kind of jazzed about you know being the content focused person right. but as i got to know you a little bit more and really kind of understood your ethos and what you were all about what i found fascinating is how much your art of copywriting and crafting campaigns is data driven yes and the reason why i think that's fascinating and the reason why i wanted to bring you to- here today is that much like seo when i spoke with franco valentino of narrative seo you know, a lot of people feel that the, the science and the data can be very restrictive, that it can undermine the craft of storytelling, the art of putting together the right copy that makes people feel something. Right. You know, I know a lot of copywriters who just don't even want to deal with it. And uh, and a few years ago, there was this article I read where it's like, I'm a content creator and you can't force me to care about data and name boo. And I found that A little bit offensive. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because I I will admit I don't need you to convince me, but the value of the conversation that I want to have with you today is really bridging the divide for people who feel that data gets in the way of producing true storytelling Mm -hmm. or those emotionally resonant moments that bring people to you that you're trying to reach. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean it's very interesting
1: I've, I've had clients that i've worked with in the past who are awesome at their craft awesome at what they do um but are unable to to actually communicate that and by understanding who they were as as a client of mine as well as understanding the type of clients that they served and actually going really into the transformation that comes out of it and sometimes we don't look at that transformation as data but it is it, it's somebody's life is a point in time and it might be a qualitative Uh, attribute, if you will, but that data point can be the one key click in that campaign that makes the difference between them getting on a call with you or them just passing you by
0: in their email um, inbox. You bring up a really valid point there because I think what happens is a lot of people hear the word data and they immediately turn their brain off, Mm -hmm. or they have some preconceived definition in their head that is extremely one-dimensional. So my first question to you is when, when you say data, whether you're talking about qualitative or quantitative, what do you mean by data? What are some examples of the types of data that you use to inform your copywriting decision making or campaign decision making. Yep, absolutely. So, um, at its basic form, uh, we
1: look at things like demographics and psychographic data. So, you know, um, where an individual is from, uh, how old they are, uh, where they live, what their income is. You know, those are very surface level, if you will, attributes of a person. Right? Everybody's people. Everybody's humanistic. We make. We all make up the human population. And so there's that aspect of data and, and that can sometimes be um, more tangible in the sense that you're now tying it to a person. but then there's also the numeric or the you know quantitative side of data where you're measuring the outcome of whatever content you're producing, be it emails, be it articles, um, be it your newsletter. And to me, data is an ecosystem that informs, how I write. So if I can better understand you as an individual and the attributes that make up you and your story, then I will be able to better inform the type of content that I'm putting out to actually speak and meet you where you are. That's one. Then to measure my effectiveness or measure how well I'm doing or performing against my goal or objective. That's when you bring in things like your click through rate or your open rate or you know your call to action and that's when you bring in those components of data from a numeric side and so to me when I when I get a um, work with a client or work with a customer it's really marriaging those two together to be able to present a message that one doesn't sound sterile (laughs) but that also has a personality and it's the personality and the voice of the person that I am working with it's not my voice it's not you know me imposing what I think it should sound like it's me looking at the analytics behind a person that makes up that person and looking at the numbers behind the type of campaign that we're trying to build. So that's how to me data comes together um, and ties to be able to bring out a message that actually makes sense.
0: What do you say to people or what would you say to someone who said that they feel like data gets in the way of their copywriting, whether you're talking about psychographic demographic you know, qualitative, quantitative. Mm-hmm. Why so, do you think people do that?
1: I think it's a fear. I think people, when you say data, people just automatically think bunch of numbers and spreadsheets. <laughs> and it's there, it's, there are times where that's there. Um, so I think from a, they think more scientific in the sense that they have to go through Excel or, or Google Sheets or something to be able to, or have to have a master's in, you know, statistics to be able <laughs> to have the type of data that's informed. And so they put it on the back burner Um, because they don't want to deal with that. They want to be creative. They want to be expressive. They want to be able to just, you know, paint a picture with their words. But without that information, without that data, again, numerical or quantitative or qualitative, um, that there's a hole. And so that's sometimes where you see the disconnect in the messaging because you're not really understanding that audience. There's some preconceived notions that you may be bringing in. And so I think there's just that fear of all it is is like just a wall of numbers without actually understanding how to tie back some of the numbers and some of the feedback that comes from the other side to be able to make that type of a message.
0: Yeah, and I I, I really like what you said there, too, about the fact that they just kind of turn off. They just kind of like, they're like, nope, I've already emotionally checked out. Right. But the funny thing is that if, if you were to flip that uh, on the reverse, like, you know, let's say you are that person. Let's say you are the person Who doesn't want data to do too heavy, too much heavy lifting when it comes to influencing the direction of copy? That just—it feels like to me you're you're turning your brain off in a way. You know, you you've decided that the assumptions that you had in your head about who this person is that you're trying to reach don't need to be validated. And, you know, I'm an only child. I love being right more than I love breathing. (laughs) But there have been, one of the things I've learned throughout my career, especially when you start marrying copywriting and marketing, Mm -hmm. is that so many of my assumptions are wrong, mm, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's like, Oh, this will never work. And then it totally does. Mm-hmm. And you have those kind of moments of surprise and, and clarity and excitement because you, you struck on something emotional, you, you struck a chord and it, and it worked. Right. And then other times it's, it's not. And that's yes. not what happens at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, oh, yep, yep. so I totally assumed this would work and it's not working right. at all. Right. And I think it's it's one of those things where it's, you know, if you're going to spend all that time and energy putting these words together, working really hard, you know, don't you owe it to yourself, you know, if you just want to be that selfish person, don't you owe it to yourself to give your work its best shot possible Absolutely. by actually taking the time to do the research in advance. Exactly. Exactly. No, I, I totally agree. And I think, I mean,
1: don't get me wrong. There are times where uh, you will use a piece as a baseline, but even still, there's, information you need to be informed in going in with that position and I where I'm going with this is when you look at a piece right if you don't mind me going down just for a moment when you oh, look yeah. at a piece whether you're 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 going to put your outline together you're going to you're in the middle or in the midst of a form of research one of the things that I think we tend to uh, miss on when we're putting together content is actually the connection and what I mean by that is not necessarily how you're gonna tie this piece into your call to action, but what is gonna be that human thread that you're gonna use that actually connects, right? Your piece to that person, right? And I think when we're looking at it from a data standpoint, listening and interviewing is one of the pieces that we don't do enough of. And as a baseline piece, interviewing is like the cornerstone of getting to me, real informative juicy data and just letting the person talk it's i mean i've found so many golden opportunities and actually having phone conversations having video conversations with in-person in conversations with individuals that i i go back and use obviously as data in my copy or in my client's copy that otherwise i would have not seen i would have not uncovered that in my research whether i'm going to statista or i'm going to duns and bradstreet I wouldn't have gotten that. I went and actually talked to that person. So it's that connection that I think we a lot of times miss when we're looking at our research or our data and baselining a piece or, you know, enhancing a piece that we already have going.
0: So let's say you, let's say I'm fresh. And I, you know, at first, you know, I've been listening along and now I'm like, oh yeah, I see the error of my ways. (laughs) They're just so smart and wise, those two women from there. Absolutely. (laughs) We really really are. And we're here (laughs) to help. Yeah. But what would you say to someone who says, okay, I get it. And I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. My problem is there's so much data. Mm -hmm. The problem is I know that something like analysis paralysis is very real. Yep. And you can find a statistic to basically support any argument you could ever want to create. So how do you what are some tactical steps somebody can take to help them find the right data that they should be looking at? You right. know they could be looking at any data point under the sun to write an, a blog article, but how do you how do you guide people toward the right data when they're trying to craft a piece of copy? Absolutely. So obviously, it's going to go with understanding what
1: the topic is you're trying to cover. That's just at a, at a basic premise. And then, as far as that next step, it's well, what are you ultimately? What is the action that you want to happen after your content piece is done? Is it pushing them to another piece of content? Is it getting them to sign up for a webinar? Is it so? It's understanding where you want them to go. That's that's number two. Then the third piece to be able to fill out those holes, if you will, to before or against the piece that you're working on. Um, is to actually pick a source. And I say pick a couple sources, but start with one. Like, I use Statista a lot. I love Statista. I, like, love it. And I use that to be able to get both sides. There's a lot of information that comes in for me that I can decide, okay, I could go this way with this piece and tie it into this objective and make sure that it's right, or I can go the other way with it. So I would say pick a source that um, you're comfortable with. And I know there's plenty out there but pick one and then go from there. I mean, you can always Google, we always know, Google's there, <laughs> um, but you just need to pick, pick a source. Otherwise, you are gonna have that analysis paralysis by jumping from, I call it pillar to post, from you know, software pro- product to next software product, trying to find the best research, and when really, in fact, you're, just, you're concerned with your topic, your objective, and what type of data you're gonna use to back that up. How do you know when you're looking at the wrong data? Again, I think you have to be clear on what you want your outcome to be, what that goal is. Um, I think when you intrinsically oh, – not everybody has a gut feeling. I tend to have a gut feeling. Um, but when you feel like it just doesn't align with either your client or the type of piece that you're trying to put together, and you can corroborate that by then bringing in other sources, listening to other opinions, um, and it, doesn't, it just doesn't align, uh, mm-hmm. then that's when I think that's something that should be tabled or – In some cases may warrant a deeper dive, but in that case, I would say that if it doesn't align with what you're trying to get across, then it potentially could be the wrong data. But like you said, there's ways to substantiate an opinion one way or the other with statistics. There's no questions about that. I think it's just being clear on that path that you're looking to present.
0: Can you give me an example of a time when you had that lack of alignment because I know exactly what you're what you're talking about mm-hmm. but I will say it took a lot of trial and error on my part and learning a lot of hard lessons before I understood what it meant when you look down kind of globally at the strategy of a of a of an article that you're writing or an email or whatever and seeing that lack of alignment it took me a while to be able to identify that so Mm-hmm. What's an example of that? Mm-hmm. So I know one of the big things that we were talking about, um, and one of the
1: groups that I belong to was like open rates, right? Mm-hmm. And we always go on and on, but, but there's an average open rate and they're like, Oh, well my industry is this. So it should be this it's 25% and mine is this. So it's 11%. But if the point of your content is to actually say, you know what, we're looking at what the average is globally we're looking at what the average is by industry, understanding, um, let's call it staying in your lane, but understanding the lane that you're trying to represent is what will help make that piece more cohesive. Um, I think from a qualitative standpoint, um, I had one client who works with a number of of different types of customers and their points and journeys as as entrepreneurs. And we were kind of debating between which, which story we wanted to tell. And there was a moment where, we thought a story could go one way and it was a positive, happy-go-lucky. There was another one that wasn't as so positive. The outcome wasn't that, you know, wasn't that great. Um, And the question was, well, which one do we want to use? And to that, I said, okay, and this is from a qualitative standpoint, which one is more in alignment with who you are and the type of message that you're, you know, you want to get out and the type of um, transformation you want to represent. And so what we ended up doing was going with that ladder, which was more, um, controversial, not, not scandalous, but just controversial. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't um all roses and rainbows and unicorns. It was just the truth of entrepreneurship is hard, but Hey, I'm here. And this is the type of transformation that can happen. And because we had both sides that we could go with, we could have gone with the happy one It might've, you know, made through more click throughs, but we chose to test out the more real, more, Relatable more raw um, Type of a message uh, in that particular campaign and, and it's been doing very well So it's that type of conflict where what really aligns with in this case who, who she is and, and what message resonates And it was the, the um the more raw one
0: What was the biggest win you've ever had when you had that alignment between That art of storytelling that was clarified by the right data. Yes,
1: so the biggest win was a campaign that I had. It was about a three-month campaign. And the question was, in the three-month campaign, the intent was to get um, more individuals to sign up for this particular program. And um, the whole thread of it was telling the different types of stories, but then wrapping that around, you know, what it meant for your business. And at the very end, like, I was, I was nervous because of how I've never mixed so many different varying type of stories in this, in this particular type of campaign. And so I was I was nervous <laughs> um, because I was like, well, I want us to keep that thread and the thread was there, but I wasn't, I just, it, it wasn't, we hadn't done it before. I guess that's what it boils down to. And so at the end of it, um, my client ended up getting six new um, clients that she could work with in the span of, I want to say four to six weeks. So this is as this campaign was going. And for me, and it's, it was, these were high ticket clients. So it just, it just reaffirmed like you have to trust that instinct. And sometimes you just got, I say, push, go, just push, go. So that was like the biggest win for me because not only did I push my limits as a copywriter and the types of, you know, uh, growth and emotions that you bring up in these campaigns, but I also allowed her to, express herself in the sense of feeling comfortable, you know, me representing her and getting those clients to come in and and now she's able to impact more lives. So for me, that was just the, it was, it just felt really good. It
0: felt really good. (laughs) So I know you kind of already went into detail here a little bit, but could you tell me a little bit more about what would have happened if you hadn't relied upon data that way? What would, what would have been different you think about the outcome?
1: yeah um, so I think that had I not relied on the data, I think the campaign would have been very very flat, meaning very status quo, very oh, I've heard that before, um, and very generic, sterile, if you will. And I think being able to rely on the data and understand um, the numbers that were behind it and understand the emotions that came with it helped me to paint that type of a, a campaign that would allow for it to address people at different points in time in their journey to be able to um,
0: work with my client. So can you tell me a time though, on the other hand, where the data kind of let you down? Because data that's this is the thing that's a little bit tricky about it. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I I preach the gospel of data. You know, I have once, you know, I once was blind, but now I see et cetera, et cetera. Like I I know the mistakes I've made without it. But I've also made mistakes with it, which is really kind of hard to deal with sometimes right? <laughs> yes oh that is so okay so
1: I actually had a call earlier this morning um, and I, I had touched on this so I when I first started down just copywriting and online marketing I knew I knew my audience and I knew I was good so I got all my Facebook ads set up and all my ad sets going and all my different types of copy and the campaign totally bombed <laughs> <laughs> I mean, miserably bombed. What happened? Uh, I converted, to, I ran the campaign for three months. I converted maybe three or four different folks each month, so a total of 12, maybe, to an audience set of over 1.1 million. So I thought I was doing right by the type of audience that I was targeting because. I did the research and this is what they watched and this is what they listened to and this is what they were attracted to. But what ended up happening in hindsight, because hindsight's always 2020, 20, 20 um, my targeting was off because that really, yes, they listened to it. Yes, they watched it. But it, the message that I was come sending out was not resonating with them. It was too technical, too data-driven, too analytical for them to be able to relate to it. So that campaign is water under the bridge, but it's the one that hurts my heart. <laughs> what do you think is the biggest lesson that you took out of that? Um, just at that point, I wasn't actually doing as much uh, one-on-one talking and understanding um, my, the type of audience I was trying to reach. And so for me, it was actually having those type of conversations. And that's something that I carry even to this day with me is to value those conversations. They might not always be winners. Might not always want to listen. I get it. But for me, it really, it really was um, just listening to what they had to say because that better informed how and where I was going with my messaging.
0: Yeah, you talked. You've talked a few times now about these kind of one-on-one conversations. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about how you have those and 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 what you get out of them and and how others can have those conversations for themselves.
1: Absolutely. So uh, for me, I have certain points in time in my campaigns where I reach out directly. Like it's not, I have obviously autoresponders and things like that and series and sequences, but I have points in time where I just reach out. I genuinely say, hey, you might think I'm a bot, you might think I'm an autoresponder, but I'm not. I'm genuinely here to hear what you have to say. And I just leave it open-ended, you know, depending on where they follow my campaign. But, you know, I'm here to listen. What What is it that you want to say? And we, we will have a conversation sometimes through email or I've even done it through Instagram. And then we actually get on a call and we talk. We actually have a conversation. <laughs> and there's no it's no pitching, none of that. It really is just to understand. Because I believe that if if you don't have these conversations regularly, then you're going to lose touch of your, the type of message that you're trying to bring across. Period.
0: Full well, stop. Yeah, absolutely. No we so, do persona interviews as well, so we, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll talk to people who are, you know, for, for buyer personas, not people usually don't just have one. You know, they'll, they'll sometimes have two, maybe three, maybe four, but they'll have that cross section of like, these are our ideal audience segments or ideal buyers and they fall into these general psychographic and, and demographic categories. Mm-hmm. And it's always very interesting to have those conversations, because it, in a way, it is, it is that qualitative data that I, don't, that I think people take for granted. Yes. You know, data in a lot of ways, when you start defining it, especially on the qualitative category, is so powerful, because that's when you start talking about, well, generally speaking, what are their goals? What are their pain points? Mm-hmm. You know, if they're trying to accomplish these goals, what are the things that are standing in their way? You know, who do they trust? When they're trying to solve an answer, where do they go typically? And those are all data points. They're very human data points. And I think those are, you know, when people throw around the word data like the way, quite frankly, you and I have been during this conversation, (laughs) it's very easy to volley it back and forth like this little tiny tennis ball, but Mm -hmm. it means so much across that spectrum. But those conversations can be really powerful if you spend a lot of time listening. You know, I usually, we, we have like a little set of questions that we'll ask, but it's really about allowing them the space to open up and and be honest about, you know, who they are, what's different, what's changed, why is it changed, what's keeping them up at night, you know? Right. Absolutely. And that's how, you know, without that kind of data or intelligence or whatever label you want to ascribe to it. You, know, you have no possibility of ever getting inside the mind of the person you're trying to reach because that's what you're trying to do. And you've talked about that so much that human-human that to connection can only be sustained if you understand at a very high level what a group of people is thinking generally and how you're going to reach them. And that's why data is so important. It's not that it's dehumanizing. Data is simple, simply a numerical representation of behavior of very human behavior, of very human interactions, of yeah. very human choices that are made, and we aggregate them, because data is how you tell what most of the people are doing. No. <laughs> it's not a dirty word. Nope. It's, maybe it's just you know hipster sheep to not like it, you know? <laughs> I'm a genius, I don't need this, I just write emails <laughs> and I have risen above it. No, I mean, but you're, you're totally right, I, I look at,
1: I look at qualitative data as rich data. It's it's rich because you get the tapestry of a person or persons or a persona, and you're able to use that just to to paint that picture. I, it's just I'm with you, Liz, I'm totally with you, girl.
0: <laughs> you know about like quantitative data as like this is the activities, this this is the what and the how. And the qualitative data is to me is the why. It's right. the motivation. It's it's the driving, motivating factors that influence somebody's activity, why they click on something, why they don't click on something, why they come back to something and why they don't come back to something. Right. You know, it's the story of who these people are that you're trying to reach. Yes. Um, but it, it, for me, it, I've always struggled with it too. You know, how much is too much? You know, how little is too little? And essentially what, I, what I've come to terms with, and I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is that if I try to think of like a set of like baseline metrics that I always want to be looking at, it's who is it that I'm talking to? Like at least give me the persona. I need to know who you're talking to and why we're talking to them. Yeah. You know, what is, what are the problems through research through interviews through analysis that we have identified as the problems of this person? Right. Okay. Now let's go and talk about how we're going to solve them. Mm-hmm. You know, and through data, have we learned, you know, that this either qualitative or quantitative or just not being dumb, you know, like, <laughs> is, is this somebody who wants more like of a straight talking approach because they're in sales. Like they don't have a ton of time for like preamble and narrative exposition and blah, 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 you know, like, you know, that's the kind of stuff where I really want it. That's, that's my baseline is like, who are they and what problem have we identified that they're trying to solve? Yes. you know that's 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 what it is that's what it comes down to and then after that it's context okay so if we're if this is their problem and this is how we're solving it how are we how are we communicating with them is it email Mm -hmm. in which case we have a lot of other metrics to bring in (laughs) right (laughs) because it's like an email can die for so many reasons you know if the open rates busted then guess what your subject line sucks and your email never had a chance you can't you can't even look at the data you got from the opens that you got because We're the crappy opens <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> so, Oh god! Every time I think I like I'm gonna have an organized discussion around data and content, it's always like, "Oh, here's this giant bucket of water filled to the brim. It's gonna be fine." And then I fall over and it's done. <laughs> that's I think what makes it so fun, don't yeah. you? I mean?
1: mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, you have so many ways you can go with it, and it's just. I know we, we talked earlier about the whole analysis paralysis. And yes, even with the one-on-one, you can have analysis, paralysis. You sometimes just really have to just go ahead and push go and be okay with the willingness to experiment because that's also a component of getting prob- practical data insights is that
0: experimentation. So just oh, yeah. to, if you don't have the data, make a mistake and create the data.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. And so it's 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 those pieces that just make it all. Um, it makes it work. You just have to have the support <laughs> to be able to um, pull those kinds of you know, data points, if you will, uh, but then also the support to be able to run those type of experiments and a level of comfort and trust, right? Um, so I think that that's how we can use data as content creators, as um, strategists, as writers, um, to be able to inform the type of decisions that we're making when we're putting together these campaigns.
0: What is the biggest piece of advice you would have to someone who is either newer in their career or they're experienced copywriters who are really just kind of starting to bring data from a marketing perspective into their, into their, their sphere of influence or however you want to call it. I can't find the right metaphor. It's Monday. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What would be your biggest piece of advice?
1: My biggest piece of advice would be don't be afraid to start um, and don't be afraid to fail because you will. When you're taking on data, it can be overwhelming because there is a plethora of it across the board. And so you have to be of the mindset to know that, look, approach it like an experiment. At least that's what I tend to tell myself a lot. If you don't know for sure, approach it like an experiment. Until you're either proved right or you're proved wrong um, so <laughs> that would be my just from a basic level would be would be my advice approach it like an experiment and be prepared to fail
0: We all have those lessons as marketers and copywriters that we wish we could go back and tell ourselves like even maybe yesterday but more <laughs> realistically like a year ago two years ago when we're first starting out in our career. Mm-hmm what is the one mistake you would, you would love to be able to keep others from having to make for themselves that you learned the hard way? Like, if you don't do this one thing, this is the thing not to do.
1: Oh, that's a good one. Let me think. Um, one thing. Hmm. I would say the one thing they're not to do, right? That I would avoid my, I would tell my younger self, Claudia, do you, don't do this, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Don't try to take it all on at once. I'll say when I first started, I tried to take in everything online marketing. If there was a course, a conference, a mini course, an ebook, a book, I was on it. And that caused me complete overwhelm in the very beginning. And I kind of lost the direction of where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say, don't try to take it all in at once. Stay in your lane and focus on that one thing and then you can expand out. Are there any
0: resources that you particularly rely upon that you would point people toward, though? Um, You mean as far as staying in their lane? Or in general, you know, in terms of, it's really hard, especially when you're first getting started, you know, Mm -hmm. well, I want to go out there and research, but I don't know what sources are reliable. I don't know, you know, I want to do some training. I want to have, you know, I don't want to totally be flying blind.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd say, so I know one that I use for research, like I said, I think I said earlier was Statista. but as far as just, uh, knowing where you want to land, you'd have to be comfortable with knowing where you're starting. Like not necessarily where you want to go, but where are you starting? Because for the longest time I ignored, I wanted to put away my tech hat. I didn't want to incorporate it into copy. I really wanted to put away my tech hat and put it on the back burner. And what? it was because I felt like it was too analytical for folks in the online space to be able to relate to, and so I suppressed it. My background is in business intelligence and data analytics, and I suppressed it for so long because I didn't think they would understand. because That sounds too technical. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I've learned to now embrace it, and it's, it helps me um, better enrich and enhance the type of experience that I provide as a copywriter. Um, but for the longest time, and I think that's part of how I bombed my Facebook ads <laughs> um, that go with that hat, but I think that's part of what, um, for me, what turned it around was to embrace the fact that, yes, I am a technical person, but I'm also a great copywriter. So that answers?
0: No, it absolutely okay. does. And I think that's something we all kind of do to some degree. We always feel like there's this one part of ourselves that we want to suppress or or tamp down or mm. revise or... And that just kind of gets in the way. The minute where you start trying to shut off a part of yourself is the minute you start failing.
1: Yep, Um, absolutely.
0: (laughs) So if people wanted to continue this conversation with you, Claudia, how can people find you? Uh, You can find me on Instagram because that is my home. It's at Miss Copywriter. And then my
1: website is MissCopywriter.com. So those are my two two hubs and my two homes, virtual
0: homes anyway. And just to clarify for people listening, when we say Miss, it's M-S, not M-I-S-S.
1: Well, it's okay. They can go to MISS.com. It's forwarded to this one. But yes, it is MS. Look
0: at you. I know. I had to, I thought about it. Research. <laughs> fine. <laughs> Show off on the way out the door. Whatever, Claudia. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. It Thank was you. It's such a pleasure. And we will definitely have to find an excuse to connect again soon. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. So Claudia already shared a fantastic website during our chat that you should all bookmark, Statista, which is a powerful market research and statistics portal. But I want to share one other link for you this week as the weekly awesome to put in your back pocket until the next time you want to create a piece of data-driven content. So if you ever find yourself with an itch to toss out all of the numbers, you know, just Throw them out the window and go with your gut when developing the strategy for a single piece of content or perhaps an entire campaign. Or maybe you know someone else who needs a reminder of why data is so important. I want you to fire up your great computer machine and go to this article. Data, the missing part of your content marketing strategy from Content Marketing Institute. It's an article I bookmarked when I when it was. Let's see. You know what? It was back when I first made a pivot toward my content niche in the inbound world. So that was back in 2015. And whenever I hear anti-data arguments or I need a little personal reminder myself, you know, I'm only human. I'm not perfect as much as I protest to the contrary. I'll pull up that evergreen three-year-old bookmark and let that wisdom wash over me. And here's one of my favorite passages to tell you what I'm talking about. Setting clear goals and using data as your guide ensures that you are developing the right type of content, getting in front of the right audiences, and understanding its impact in a way that lets you continually optimize your strategy. I refer to this three-step framework as the three Cs, context, connections, and clarity, all of which are grounded in data end of recitation. So yeah, if you remember nothing else from this episode, aside from the fact that Claudia and I are most stunning, delightful, chatty, wonderful Maryland content nerds, let it be those three critical data-driven Cs, context, connections, and clarity. To learn more about what those mean and why data is so critical to understanding those three factors that go into your content, visit the show notes for this episode. I have the link in there, or you can literally just Google data, the missing part of your content marketing strategy. Anyway, that is it for this week. Don't forget to visit impactbnd.com for the show notes and to sign up for the content lab monthly newsletter. The December edition will be coming out this week. And if you want to connect with me anytime in between this week's episode and next, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, at NaptownPint for both. There you can find, honestly, lots of pictures of my dogs. So yeah, do you like commas and dogs? I'm your gal. Anyway, until next week, everybody.